welcome to Offwatch, a podcast by the Ocean Race. This week, I got a chance to sit down with Chris Nicholson, somebody who's been there at every twist and turn in the last six editions of the race. I asked him about Team Vestas Wind and that fateful grounding on St. Brandon's Reef, plus Movistar sinking and what it takes to be a leader in those times of crisis. Plus, I got a chance to ask him about his early 18-foot skiff days and the 49er Olympics and what it takes to be fast in those classes. If you enjoy this interview, leave us a like, subscribe for more, and let us know in the comments below who you want us to talk to next. Enjoy. Joining me this week is Chris Nicholson, who has represented Australia in two Olympic Games, got six World Championship titles to his name, but closer to home, has competed in every edition of the Ocean Race since 2001. In the last edition on board Team Axenabel, they finished fourth, but more importantly, well, at least as much as the history books are concerned, they got the outright speed record for the most number of miles sailed in 24 hours, 602, the new benchmark to beat. So, Chris, thank you very much for, for joining me. First of all, give us some idea what it's like being on board a 65 when it's maxed out, claiming a record, surfing, jumping from wave to wave. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I guess, first of all, most of the way through that record, I actually didn't believe that we were doing the amount of miles that we actually did in the end. Um, you, you know, like you can't, you can't do a record like that without everything being very, very close to perfectly aligned. You know, the conditions were incredible. Flat water, a little bit of current with us, um, you know, the right sail combination, good drivers, good trimmers. And just a, a nice setup and pushing the boat, you know, on it, on its on its edge the whole time. Like you know, the best, the best fun, the best fun you have while while going racing in it. And but also not the hardest of sailing either. Like you know, I've, there's been a lot harder days at 400 or 500 miles than than that record at 602. Because. I mean, normally if a boat goes out to break a record, you're talking about a team being sat, you know, on the dockside, watching the weather for days, maybe weeks, waiting for that perfect weather window. It's not, um, I imagine it's not going to come around again in the race's uh, future that the boats are on the perfect angle, sailing in just the right direction with just the right wind. As you say, everything lines up. Exactly. I can imagine at the time there was a lot of people with big, ocean going maxi maxis that had always geared up for the world record and uh them just being absolutely destroyed <laughs> we come out with we come out with a little 65 footer and nail it and what's you know the 65s had a reputation in in the last two editions of being quite wet um but of course also being quite robust being very sturdy boats that you could really throw into it they're going to be doing an another edition what can we expect from the 65 um next time around it was so close in the last edition is it going to get closer is someone going to unlock something and pull away finally well i actually i don't well the only way you could get closer is instead of there being you know three or four boats neck and neck at the finish that there'll be you know eight mm. boats um you know like it, it can't I honestly think it's more of the same, but but also 
more of the same. That combination was dynamic last race, you know, in terms of people who viewed it, the atmosphere around the race and just the, um, and, and you talk to the sailors, it, it's the best race. For me, it was the best racing I've had in my career was, was the last race. What, why is that? Why, why did that one stand so far above the others? Well, it was, it was purely, it was purely just, if you're just breaking it down to just simple racing, go out and racing where, where you don't have to have done, you know, years of design work and had everything perfectly in place. If you want to just go and race the next group of guys and put yourself against those people, that was the best race. Because of course, you know, what was it, 2001, that was when you were first um, involved in the race. And this is, Amersports won? You, 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 coming in as, you coming in as watch leader. So, you know, with the 70s. Oh, no, 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 sorry, mate. I didn't, I definitely didn't start as watch leader. I was pretty much, I, was, I think I was pretty much sweeping the floor when I started. <laughs> started there with Dalts. <laughs> okay, fine. That's, that, that's fine. I'll readjust. Um, um, I ended what, up watch leader. How about we'll, we'll leave it at that? Yeah, that's fine. That, you know, that, that's perfect. I mean, what was that like? Into, I, I, I try and get my head around what it's like selling on the 65 now let's say you lose a leg but you know that you've got just as good equipment as the person that won your boat has the potential to go just as fast as their boat you sail on board something like the um volvo 70s is a bit of a design thing is there something in your mind when a boat doesn't perform and you think well our boat is different i mean it's designed differently how does that affect that that you know, your mindset in that situation. Yeah. The Volvo 70, you know, it, it, it comes into its own in regards to all the pre-race design work and sailing and refits. So you get to actually add a lot of value from a sailor and with design side of it to the, to the project. So that mm. can become quite, uh, it's, it's really rewarding and great fun. Um, you know, if you if you're gonna boil the race down to the most amount of fun, probably the seventy is it because it's you know it's the full package. It's not just racing; it's design, it's it's more preparation and the refit. All that work comes into it to ultimate speed. So um, you know, they are they are such a such a dynamic program. The seventies, but you know, they had they had their day in the sun. They were fantastic boats to sail um they really were quite quite a handful i gotta say well yeah i mean it comes with its risk doesn't it i mean this is probably where i should ask you about movistar and you know having to um step off that boat in a way that no sailor wants to do stepping into a into a life raft um you know take take us back to that to that moment there um when were you on board that but you know when did things first start to feel we might have an issue here? Oh, honestly, that was, remember we had, well, we almost sunk coming into the horn. Like that was, that was very, very close to a quite a rapid, rapid loss of the boat. Um, so it wasn't the first moment, um, you know, when we, when we finally did step into the raft, honestly was a, accumulation of several um problems that we'd had throughout the race 
um, yeah, sorry, sorry about the kids. <laughs> yeah, we're catching you at home. That's not a problem. That's not a problem. Um, because because you you you'd, you'd had to so you know the keel ram was ultimately the the thing that sort of seemed to sort of sink the boat, and I, I mean. This is obviously going back a you know a while. This is long before my involvement with the race. So you know I've always been sort of trying to get the details from the from the scraps from press releases and stuff. But you guys were having to tie the keel up at one point, trying to sort of slow it down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess if we, we if we take it back, um, you know, very tragically throughout one of the nights, we got a call that Hans Horowitz mm. had gone over the side from ABN One. So. Um, I think we we dropped the we, we got rid of the fractional zero I think we had up at the time, and started to reach across to where we thought the search site would be. And um, you know we're leaping off waves and you know the usual usual things you do, and we landed hard you know pretty hard and literally the back curl pin like snapped through the bulkhead and basically she sort of like dropped you know dropped the back end of the keel out of the boat if 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 you like so it's it's kind of still attached by the rams and and the front pin but it's it's um it's terminal um so we've obviously we slowed the boat down then we um and then we, we we tried to to do what we could we had a you know a fair amount of water coming back in um so we've essentially stopped the boat we've tried to it's still relatively secure, I guess you would say. It's probably moving about, I don't know, three, four, five inches sideways, flopping around in the boat, which is never a good look. No. For a no. <laughs> for, for, for a component that's not meant to move at all, three, four, five inches is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, so we, we, we started to, you know, like we, the, putting in, into place all the crisis um documents that we have but as as far as remembering this went on for probably i don't know a day and a half where we've where we're still on the boat and we're trying to secure the keel to a certain extent to try and get back to shore um so we you know like we did uh we so we were drilling holes in the bulkhead and trying to lash up the keel pin through the bulkhead then we're drilling and then so we're doing purchase system with all the kite sheets, halyards, you name it. Uh, and then we're drilling holes through the deck to then put it onto a halyard so we could winch it, winch the purchase systems tighter and tighter. Right. And, and, you know, like this huge, you've got, a, you know, huge forces at play, but we threw pretty much everything at it. And then because we knew we had to do a jibe in, you know, like a day's time and that the curl would, would flop over at that time so we're trying to secure it so so we yeah we we kind of and everyone's in survival suits and we're ready to get in the rafts and so we kind of we are we are organized and um so we eventually go for the jive and the keel just flops to the side and just tears every rope through the bulkhead <laughs> like i mean we didn't even scratch it <laughs> and and it's like, you're just going, well, we knew it was, you know, like, you you know, we've worked on it for a long time, all yeah. this, and we knew it was probably futile. But, but, yeah, but you'd, you'd, you'd like it to give to give some resistance. You'd like it to last for a, a split second, at least. Yeah, 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 you do. But yeah, you know, like, that's, there's a reason why these things are, 
you know, like originally, you know, we, but it's, it's, it was one of those ones where, you know, like when you backtrack through the, through the engineering or through the breakages that we'd had previous in the race, you know, it all, it, you could see a definite line, um, you know, the same old snowball effect. You could mm. see where it originated and it didn't happen there, it originated, you know, a long time prior to that. And it just, and, and we never, never really got on top of it until, you know, you know and the final outcome is you end up, and not losing a boat. Was it scary? I mean, I'm imagining, like you say, um, Hans Horowitz, uh, you know, the tragedy with him has, has just unfolded. What was that like being on board a boat and knowing that, well, we can't rely on this boat much any longer? Yeah, certainly, like, the, the weather conditions were playing havoc. You know, we had a, you know, 40-knot front due to come mm. over us in, in sort of like a day and a half's time. And, and you know, if there had been reasonable conditions for sure, we could have limped back to shore. Um, but then when you get caught with a passing front with a leftover seaway, you know, it would have, it would have I'm pretty confident it would have ended ba very badly um, if, if we'd stuck it out. So, were we scared? It was, it was, no, it was quite a controlled, it was a controlled event as such to that time. Uh, ABN1 was there nearby circling around, you know, we've had, we've had a lot of time to prepare for getting into the raft. So it was all quite, quite well organised as such. Um, if we had of, if we had of lost the boat like we almost did coming into the horn, which was a very rapid flooding of the vessel, you know that that was that one had to put put a bit of a scare factor on it. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, your first time in a life raft, albeit short, considering you're transferring to another boat. Yep, that was possibly not my last, but that was <laughs> my first time. Well, because th this was one of the things that I, I I wanted to ask you about, and 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 I always ask you about this whenever I get the chance to speak to you, and I, and I do apologise. <laughs> you you you've apologized in the past too but you can yeah, yeah 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 okay. so <laughs> the thing that i think we we end up touching on next is probably the st brandon reef and you know being on board with uh you know team vestus wind and running aground and this there's a lot that i think um is really fascinating about that story not least the strains that it must have put on you in terms of being skipper at that moment. I was wondering whether, before we kind of get onto what happened there uh, that night and how you guys dealt with it, um, I was wondering whether there was, with the Movistar incident, was there anything that you saw being done from a leadership point of view, from, you know, the, the, the way that that situation was controlled, that you thought, I'm going to note that down, that's... That, that was good. Looking back, that's how I'd like to do it if I get into that situation myself. Um, yeah, it, I'd, I'd never thought of it in, in, this, in this context before, as in for sure there's, I think, things you pick up along your career and your life just in terms of just experience and, and dealing with different situations. So that all plays a part of it. Um, 
one thing in 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 looking back now that we that we had a lot of on movie star was time and mm. and certainly certainly with vestus the main I, I remember remember a lot of the decision making that the that was going on was it was very much um based off everyone's every you know a, a crew um a lot of crew input as much as I could get. And of course then I'd make the final decision. But, but I remember at the time just really just trying to buy myself some more time to get to a better, to get to the better decision. Some things that had to happen early on, as soon as we hit that were instant, instant decisions, this, you know, this is what we'll do. Um, But as, as soon as you could buy some time, it made for a better, it certainly made for a better outcome. Absolutely. Um, so, so talk us through then. Like you say, I can I can see now why you, why you say time. It, it splits those two incidences, um, one evolving relatively slowly, and the other one happening in the blink of an eye. Um, before we talk about what you did after the moment, what happens here? You know, we've got. Um, Team Vestas win, sailing along, sailing well, leg two, at night. Take it from there. <laughs> well, um, you know, like we, well, we'd gone through, gone through quite a big storm the previous day, night. Um, so it was quite a leftover sea. But the main thing was that, um, you know, we, we, we knew about some seamounts that, that were, you know, a fair way off a day and a half, two days out. We, we knew these seamounts were, were there. Um, mistake that was made was that we didn't zoom in on the depths of the seamounts enough to know that they were more than just seamounts. You know, the information that, that we had was that it was still 40 metres of depth. Obviously, it wasn't. It was about, you know, three metres above sea level. So. Um, but even even at that even even a depth you know differential you know of 1200 meters you know from the deep to the shallow is concerning and 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 i was obviously still quite concerned about you know wave state currents everything around there so we we were preparing for that so obviously as as we were approaching the seamount which um you know we everybody kind of knew that there could you know there would be maybe like you'll see some difference in sea state potentially in this area um and then literally you know we didn't know it at the time we accelerated down a wave as such which would be a breaking wave on the edge of the reef and and hit um so then so you know one thing you find out later on if you're going to ground a boat a canting keel is a good boat to ground on because it literally because the keel's out to the side the boat spins around albeit violently but it doesn't it doesn't impact like a fixed keel mm. and just instantly stops so we so a lot of the inertia was taken around in a in a sweeping corner which sheared off both rudders uh, I think I think maybe one or both actually got torn out of the boat as well as um, broken, um, and literally, you know, we're there fixed, like yeah. instantly, you know, not high and dry. We're fixed in in the in the breaking waves. Water coming into the hull. Yeah, 
straight away. And what? Not not, not huge amounts at, at that stage. Um, you know, there'd probably be two reasons for that. Is one that the keel, to a certain extent, is stopping you going deeper down. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, like we hadn't sustained huge damage, like um, to the underbody of the boat, but that was happening pretty, pretty fast. Then over the next six hours, I guess. I, I imagine as a as a skipper, you spend so much time thinking about the polars and sail crossovers and you know all this sort of thing, and how how you're going to. Um, perform under certain scenarios and how you're going to communicate, you know, the right tactical information to the team when actually probably the biggest test will be the test that maybe some skippers will never have to face. They'll be lucky like that. Um, You faced it, you're there with this team and something's gone wrong and now you've kind of slipped over from it's all about going fast to, well, people looking to me now to sort of lead us lead us in the situation where you know it, i'm sure it's 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 got to be taken pretty seriously looking back um in that first sort of little few hours that you had or even in that first moment you know did you do anything where looking back you can go yeah i'm proud of that i'm proud of the you know the way that we pulled together the way that we did you know how did that first sort of hour or moment unfold I've, well i guess I'll just take it a couple of steps there. And like, to be honest, like a, a modern skipper's, uh, I, I honestly think 80% of a modern skipper's role in this race is to do with sailing. Mm. Sorry, is to do with the safety of the vessel. Yeah. Um, like so much in it, but not, not say specifically, obviously for grounding, but it, but it's everything from, from burns to the crew to injuries to safety on shore to like you know it's kind of stops with the with the skipper so like honestly the polars and the sail shapes and everything is just such is is yes at the moment when you're on the boat you've got focus on that but the overall package it's 80 percent safety and procedures to try and to try and stop this kind of thing happening obviously you know we had we, we had you know big pitfalls for us to do to make that mistake in the first place um but having once once we'd made that initial you know like very you know horrendous error uh, everything after that i think was was done quite well could we've done some small things better yeah i i i, I guess so we we had a long, both internal and external debrief on, on it when we did, and um, we we didn't, um, you know, we didn't we didn't uncover too many things, you know. Yeah. We we possibly could have, st- you know, one one big thing is we possibly could have stayed on the boat the whole time because we we did leave the boat and and physically get washed over the reef individually while while hang tethered onto a line um and we could we could have we could have probably rode it out in hindsight but but um and 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 i remember talking to will oxley on alvi medica at the time and um you know like we were saying obviously 
we're both agreeing that we want to stick it out on the boat till daylight. And, you know, it's obvious, you know, stay on the boat, stay on the boat. It's kind of one of the things you get taught yeah. as a little kid capsizing out on the lake. And um, so we want to stay on the boat, um, but we took, we, we got hit by a couple of waves in quick succession and the bulb had, the bulb had come off the fin and the boat rolled, the boat heeled over to 90 degrees. So we're basically vertical. And, um, and I was very concerned that we were going to cop another one and, and the boat roll. And so, so it's kind of like, you know, a little bit different to a normal grounding where again, a fixed keel kind of stay, the keel stays attached. So the boat is always going to remain, remain upright. As soon as I, as soon as I had the feeling that we were going to take a full, a full tumble, that was when we had to, that was when we had to, well, well, you know, when I decided that we did need to get off. There was some amazing footage I remember seeing of you guys inside the hull, um, counting through numbers, you know, is everybody here and, you know, sort of bouncing through. Um, and I remember seeing it and I remember thinking, well, you don't look phased, you know, you, you seemed really calm, you seemed really, really relaxed. I imagine in that situation, that was how you wanted to come across to the crew. What was going on inside that you didn't want to let out or, or were you that calm? Oh, uh, no, no, like, you know, well, you know, I, I was, I was, I was calm, like, cause to be honest, if you're going to get upset and yell and scream or panic, then that's, not going to reach it's not going to reach the best outcome like so um you know you're very methodical about what has to what has to happen and and you know what's you know what's on the line um i'd be lying if i didn't say a couple of times i had a little voice on my shoulder saying you're in deep shit like really um it was one of those voices that honestly i never had that feeling before in my life and I haven't had it since, but you needed, I needed to consciously sort of push, push those thoughts, thoughts away. Cause I'm imagining when the sun comes up and obviously you're not where you want to be, but there you are on the, I mean, the photos from the morning. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a honeymoon destination. I mean, it's a beautiful spot. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. You know, At what point did you manage to, okay i've got us i've got us through it and we're going to be okay when did that moment come to for you um it would have been it would have been actually wouldn't have been until we got onto the 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 sandy part of the atoll which was five miles away because like even when we got into the lagoon you know that night um that night the, the the coast guard that we could speak to basically said you know don't get in the water because the amount of sharks like uh, so so even when we we're in the lagoon i didn't you know you actually didn't know um because it was quite shallow when we when we kind of got washed bodily over into the lagoon it's quite shallow like up to up to your waist but you still i still didn't really know at that stage if that's still plenty of sharks which there were but they were the small sharks 
if you jump off oh, in the deep oh, side. Oh, just the small sharks. You're, you're talking you, to a Brit. We don't have sharks and, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. But if you jump off on the deep side where, where we crash the boat, yeah, you know, you probably, you don't come back out because there were, you know, it, it is heavily shark infested there. Let's turn to something a little bit lighter then, because yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, because you, you're you're a dead set party at the moment. <laughs> <Mark>. <laughs> yeah, there was just one thing you mentioned before. We were just saying about, um, you know, you're taught as a kid, you capsize your dinghy, um, you stay with it, and it just it it reminded me of something. Many a day sailing as a child, um, and it being light wind too windy, whatever, we're not going to go sailing today. And so what the instructor would do, the instructor would pull out a video, awesome Aussie skiffs, and it would put it on. And that was you. You know, you were there sailing on these 18-foot skiffs. You know, I, I, I just... I think you've got your timings mixed up because you look a whole lot older than, <laughs> than that, huh? No, you see, this is the wonderful thing, you see, because I was still very much a beginner sailor, still into my 20s. So okay. yeah, 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 right. yeah, don't worry okay, about yeah, that. Nice. Um, but for, for you as, a, as an Australian sailor, um, I mean, speaking for myself, as a British sailor, you know, we're sailing the slowest wooden, you know, horrible boats. We're learning to sail in Wellington boots and everything. And then you look over to what you guys were, were doing with the Australian sailing, sailing on 18-foot skiffs and all the rest of it. I mean, it's just seemed like an incredible proving ground and where you're getting such an early introduction to speed and really sort of high-class sailing. I mean, you know, you were sailing the, the 49er when it was fresh off the design table. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess forty nine. Yeah, we stayed out of it for a little while, whilst hopefully the, while they were sorting the design out a bit more. But we were racing eighteens, and um, you know, like just the time of your life. Like yeah. you know, well, we were young, and and someone was paying us a small amount of money to to race boats and travel around the countryside, and and they were really challenging really challenging boats as well. Like, um, um, I kind of, I didn't, you know, my growing up was kind of in, in, in local boats, sort of like they're called VJs and then 16 foot skiffs, but no wings and then 505s and lasers. And, um, but then we kind of stepped straight into, straight into the 18s and somehow, somehow the promoter, Bill McCartney accepted us to sail the 18 literally the same year. Normally you had to do two or three seasons proving, proving yourself sailing of a weekend. And somehow I'm not sure why he did it, but he, he let us, he let us go on the TV basically in the first year. So we had quite a, we had quite a learning to do over that, over the winter before that. Um, and yeah, and we, you know, we 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 went we went okay first year, and then went upwards from there. It seemed like a kind of a glory moment in sailing in terms of televised sailing. It, it, I mean, it was it, it's still used today. People still still. I mean, I could sit here and I can embarrass myself by quoting the lines from the commentators back to you. Did you know at the point that yeah, this is this is the best of our sport, and this is going to live for some years to come. Well, honestly, there was one thing that it, it taught me when it was over, 
it really taught me when it was over and finished to appreciate what you have, mm. what you're doing at the time and how special it is because I was so wrapped, I was so wound up in, in trying to develop the boat faster in working on our crew work, our tactics, video footage. I was so, I was so focused on all of that that I forgot or didn't even realize and understand what a special thing we were doing. So that's where now when I'm doing, you know, the Volvo and the ocean race, it's like, take a moment and, and appreciate what you have and what you're doing. It's cause it's, it's not, it's not normal and it's privileged and it's fair to say that you are definitely addicted as i said at the beginning you know you've done every single edition of the race since um 2001 six editions you are hoping to do the next one and one of the things i think that's been um interesting i, I want to kind of pick your brains on that because you know you were saying about skip a roll 80 percent is actually safety I wonder what part what what part of that final twenty percent is going to be the sailing when something that you know you've spoken to me about before the logistical side and the planning side and the and the the corporate side as well plays such a big role has that been has that been a lesson that you've had to learn along the way how much actually managing this team i mean it must feel a bit like a business at times. Well, it is absolutely hundred percent, you know, like, and I guess I probably need to quantify, you know, like the safety comes into everything where, you know, you've got to, for instance, you have a corporate day, then, you know, you've got to make sure your guests are looked after from, you know, like that they're going to be looked after from literally when they leave the hotel to, to when they come to the boat, to when they're talking to the guys that, no one gets hurt procedures in mm. place so every everything has a you know there's a there's a there's a reason why everything is done the way it is done for the for the team to look professional to to give the you know the the correct image that it should be and and to do a good job so um you know there's there's a, there's plenty there's plenty going on and and that's one of the things that that does make it, you know, it's a constant challenge is always, you know, there's always a problem lurking around the corner that, that needs to be fixed, needs to be uh, prevented as well. Do you still get a bit of a thrill doing those, yeah, doing those corporate days, taking somebody on board, putting them on a, a 65 and, and getting a chance maybe to remind yourself, like you said, you know, it, this is quite cool. This is not an everyday boat. Um, because I mean, I've seen you sailing with with some guests before, and I've seen the smiles. Yeah, like absolutely. We're we're kind of. I think we're fortunate because the, the guests that come out with us, you you know, you almost ninety nine percent of them follow the race. They know the race, mm. so they're so they're already to a certain extent engaged. But I remember last last year with Axonoval. But we we did did a lot of guest sailing and and a European tour, and I think it was five had five people throughout that experience, like you know, literally in tears, saying that this was their dream to sail on a Volvo Ocean Race boat. It was their dream, and it's like you know, and and I'd say to the crew, like it's not to be taken lightly, you know, 
when when doing these days how important this is to to do do well and do right you know like it's just unique i don't know any other sport that that guess guess can have that have that level of um interaction with with the athletes at the time like it is it it should be an experience of a lifetime for them because like you know where i think you know we've got the best people in the world on on these great boats doing a uh doing an event that is extreme and and we can we can bring the public there with us and we televise it and we put it out there and they're real stories it's not you know reality it's not the crappy reality tv we we see this is it's it's real you know i think it's i think it, we've got such a good platform i i i wonder you know the obrs the, you know the onboard reporters for the last edition we got to see all the amazing footage coming into the office what did you experience of what that role was like for them tucked into the back of the boat constantly waking you up when we were asking for interviews i've you know i've i've always pretty much enjoyed the obrs like you know like kind of but i think i've also got it from day one how just how important Mm -hmm. they were and and to integrate them into the crew um you know we we did have a bit of a science experiment last race where we had different OBRs each time and mm. and you probably know I wasn't a fan of that and I don't think we got the best out of out of it but in the previous races before where the OBR becomes part of part of the you, you know literally part of the same team um then that that we're able to also drive the OBR to a certain extent to work harder to do more um you don't ever get to control the content, um, though. Like, like we we always we had a real we always had a rule on board that if there was something that that a crew didn't want to have, you know, for some some reason didn't want it to go out, um, I could veto it. Um, but I've never had to use that at any stage. So there's never been any. We've never had to control any OBR content, but. Um, but it's part of it's part of working with the OBR to to try and for us to deliver a better a better package as well. If you, if you don't get on well with the OBR, I've seen people just put up walls and mm. and not, nothing nothing much gets out then. And you know, like we've always had, I think, really successful OBRs on the boats boats have been on. Uh, quite apart from the corporate side of it. I am imagining that at the time, I'm sure it must get a little bit frustrating, somebody sticking a camera in your face saying, you're losing, what's happening, what's happening? You're like, not now. But when you look back, is it, it must be quite nice that you go, I've got all these memories, photographs and videos, it's all catalogues. You know, you can almost kind of relive your, you know, all, all these past editions. Yeah, absolutely. Like for, yeah, one of these days, I guess I'll sit down and, <laughs> and have a look at some of the stunts that have gone on in the past. But I, but I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't mind it. Cause it, it's, it's real. It is what it's, what's happening. Mm. You know, like it's just, I can remember 
remember on camper with um with hoops Hamish Hooper you know it was his he'd never never gone around the world and you know he's seasick and I remember the leg from Auckland to Auckland Edajai and we we severely damaged the boat at literally Point Nemo um and and he was there sort of sitting sitting in the media station beside the nav station listening to the listening to the phone calls and the phone calls were pretty full on in regards to you know at that stage um you know we had to plan for worst case scenario if if we did lose the boat because we we had sustained some pretty pretty big injuries to the boat um you know we were having to talk survival time in the water to pick up time with another boat and and all the rest of it so you know and and he was there kind of filming it doing his thing you know petrified of what (laughs) what could happen um and and you know but it's but it's it's real there's nothing to be i don't think there's anything to be ashamed of it's just it's just part of you know that's it this is the race it's not a it's not you know it is it is um um i'm not sure it's like how would you just it's just it is extreme at times i i um i think of all the holidays that i've been on and i take all the photos when the sun is out and when it was you know when it was a hard day in the mountains or whatever oh you don't tend to take the photographs then because the, the weather's not not nice is it is it good for someone like yourself to be able to show people this is why we do it because of this challenge because this how hard it is i wonder how how you've seen the fact that the public um can really see what you guys are are up against i i still don't i honestly still don't think we've touched on it anywhere near like we're taking it to the extent that we have you know everybody's everybody's finally seen now a glimpse of what the boats can do with the drone footage yeah yeah. And, and and the challenge I keep saying to the OBRs is if if you can deliver what we're going through as a person and as a sailor, if you can deliver that to the public, you will win the OBR prize, guaranteed. Like because I still don't I still don't think we've done that job properly. Like you like you just you know, we don't have the ability yet to show you the stresses and the limits of what the guys are operating under. Um, you know, like we, I don't think we even, you know, like we have the best, you know, you have the, you can have the best drivers and trimmers in the world and you can watch them right on the limit, you know, right on their, you know, right on their limit the whole time. But it's how you get that, how you try and get that to the public where you understand that these are the best people you can find on the planet and it's and it's they're on their edge and they're doing it for a long time and we we still haven't it's it's kind of i don't know it must be like the perfect way we're still searching for how to do how to do that better and and yeah we've we've made inroads but we still haven't quite we still haven't quite got there i completely i completely understand what you're saying one of the things that always made me sort of shiver was when we were uh, when we were covering the race, and we, oh, you know, they're, you know, they're really pushing the boat hard. They're really pushing the boat. Yeah, what does that mean? You know, what is that? What are you actually doing there? And 
you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you was when you're down in something like the Southern Ocean and, you you know, you are pushing the boat hard, at what point do you go, I've got to jibe this boat? And I've jibed boats before and I'll jibe boats again in the future. It's just a jibe. I know what to do. Does you, when you're down, you know, in the midst of this race, really trying to find those little edges, do you think in a way that is, OK, this manoeuvre, this is really big. We are a long way from home. If things go wrong, obviously there's there's consequences. Or is the racing mindset simply, this is just a jibe, here we go? Uh, there's a little bit of both, you know, that, that, that kind of balance will change depending on, on the conditions. Uh, you know, like we've had jibes that take 45 minutes to do you know in in terms of in terms of the conditions are so hard and changing the stack and everything it's literally can be a 45 minute procedure to do to do well to do right um you know uh, but that's that's still a racing job that's as that's as fast as it gets yeah you know it just takes you that long and your prep time and you and you're going through it um so yeah, no, you know, like there's, there's, I think, I think maybe what you're alluding to is a bit more of when does the switch get flicked from, from flat out racing to, <clears throat> to slow it down. Let's just get through it. And that's, that can happen straight line. It can happen jibing prior to a jibe. Um, and it's kind of, it's not a tapered one. It's not a tapered flick of the switch either. It's usually, you know, you're on the limit, you're on the limit and something just, and you know, you're, you know, you're on the limit and something just twigs it, tweaks it just that little bit too much. And it's like, shut it down, flick the switch and fill the sail up, chill out, you know, for, for however long, might only be 30 seconds, might be an hour, might be longer, but um, yeah, it does happen. And it, and it's, it's a, it's a pretty, for me anyway, it's a pretty clear flicking of the switch. Have you maybe come off the helm in a moment like that and realised that the, you know, the adrenaline is pumping, the heart rate is racing, just like, you know, you've sort of taken your car around a, a corner and it's skidded a little bit. I'm wondering, do you get those moments? And if you do, how long do they last? Is it half an hour, an hour? that heightened emotion yeah but but if it if it's windy enough like you know the last race the southern ocean was a really windy leg and um you know i can remember i remember us taking a couple of sort of hard knockdowns mm. um you know luckily they were always a brooch they were never a chinese giant and um yeah like you know you you're the boats are the boats are pretty tough. Everyone's clipped on, so everyone's, you know, relatively safe. Um, and you know, you kind of you, you know you know the risk. Um, it is there, but it's I think you know it's controllable. Um, I remember steering, you know, and there was a front due to come over, and and. We'd taken a knockdown, you know, just before I got on the wheel. Got on the wheel and I was full on 
at the end of my end of my whatever skills I have. Um, and we got a, you know, another gust of like 50 knots. And this is in the middle of the night and they'd just gone, nah, got to furl it. You know, and we fur- when we furled the, furled the fractional up and, and it was just like, it was really like full on, you know, and you just kind of think back, could I've, could I've toughed it out and any longer? And you kind of think now in hindsight, you could, but at the time I couldn't, you know, yeah. like, and you have to, you know, you're comfortable with that decision. And it's just, I keep kind of saying to the guys, it's a, it's, it's almost, you know, like, I don't know if it's a testosterone thing or whatever it is, but it's like you get, you get a group of professionals together like that. And, you know, no one wants to be thinking they're letting their team down or anything like that. But I keep trying to say, it's kind of, you know, it's almost the, the smarter, better person that will put their hand up and say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm done here. Um, we, we, we take it to another, to a different analogy where, you know, we, we're trying to have the fastest drivers trimmers all the time. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you might be in a not real comfortable steering and you might be slower than the boat beside you or whatever. And it takes, you know, people we always try and really force into everybody like put your hand up if you're not comfortable if you think this isn't your best place to be put your hand up and we replace you know and we just move around and we shuffle shuffle the crew and and we get going better and and it's kind of like it's easy to say but it's it's a fairly hard thing to do no one wants to put their hand up and say i'm not i'm not i'm not good enough at this at this point in time um, you know, and that takes a while to try and get in, get in to the crew. And like we'd have times in the last race where, you know, like some boats had some serious speed on certain angles, certain, and we just couldn't get there. And then, and then all of a sudden we'd be fast <clears throat> and trying to get that magical combination 24 hours a day, seven days a week is, is, is the trick. But, uh, you know, like, you've got to have you know you you have a good team of people that can acknowledge their own strengths and weaknesses is is it goes a long way let's talk about one of the challenges that you were saying that as the obrs and the way that we cover the race we don't we're not really able to get the the public to understand or to see um i understand that you are somebody that suffers from seasickness pretty badly now i suffer from seasickness and i can't imagine going out on a long voyage of a couple of hours with the kind of seasickness that i suffer from i mean have you always had this and does it does it kick in during the race or is it a case of i'm too busy you know my, my stomach doesn't have time um now i've always had it uh but i've gotten better with it obviously if if i was as if I was as sick, got as seasick today as I did during my first round the world race, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing it. I was, yeah. I that first race I suffered, suffered pretty badly. I got to say, um, and you know, there's a lot of things. Then you know, maybe, you know, like at the time I didn't think I was. I'm pretty certain I wasn't stressed, but you know, maybe a bit apprehensive and. 
and that doesn't help and you know the wrong food and the wrong you know wrong medication you know i take an i kind of take like an over-the-counter medication you know now to if it's if it's rough um and i don't know i'm i don't i'm not i can feel crook but i and i've got to manage it and and you know quite often um, but it's pretty hard if you're, you know, doing a lot of emails and looking at weather and other boats <laughs> downstairs, you know, in in this in this circus ride that's going on downstairs. And you just, yeah, yeah, you can, you know, like, yeah, I've had a few few projectile vomits. I've got to say, I'm afraid. No, I, I completely understand. I would be, I would be worse. Um, but you you actually have an agreement with me if I think right now that. Before the next race, if, if I'm there, you're actually coming out for a couple of days. So whilst we're here now, you can actually announce it to the rest of the world if you like. <laughs> we did talk about this. And the thing that I remember was you said, look, you've got to do, you've got to do a transatlantic. You've got to do something with us so you can, you can learn the boat. And when I said to you, you know, I'd be worried about how you would treat me on board. Your reply was your your reply was as in you'd overwork me. Your reply was, uh, "Don't worry, I will treat you just the same as I would treat all of the crew," which is exactly what I'm getting at. Because I, you know, I'm a long par, a long time past my physical peak, and even then, it wasn't much of a peak. I would do it, and I'm fully happy to commit to it now, provided that I would be able to tap out at any time. Um, I could bring my own food, luxuries, things like that. Um, if I'm feeling very seasick, I get to sleep on deck, somewhere dry, maybe, maybe somewhere comfortable. If you could arrange that, I don't know what you could do. Um, but I, I guess those would be my conditions. Yeah, mate, you signed up. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, right. That didn't go the way I planned. Um, no. <laughs> right, one thing I wanted to ask you, um, you you mentioned that first time around the world and you mentioned how how green you were excuse the pun in terms of seasickness and in terms of potentially some of your experiences um all of us would look back to some sailing that we've done in the past and think wow i can't believe that i used to not know this skill or i used to think that that was the right way to do it for somebody that's done this race you know six laps of the planet I know that, you know, what were you, 24 when you won your first world championship in the 505? I mean, that's, it's, it's quite a strong start from a young sailor. But when you look back, is there something that you can stick a pin in to show how much you as a sailor have, have developed, how far you've come? I think um, that, first, that first Volvo, there's probably two moments. It's that first... It's that first Volvo that I did and um, it wasn't so much like it wasn't like a, um, you know, I joined that, I joined that team and I'd only, I'd previously I'd just done one overnighter here, here off the New South Wales coast in Australia before I joined that team, one overnighter. And I'd never, I'd never steered boats with a wheel and I'd never, and I'd never looked at instruments. And then I, I joined that team and, oh, boy. And it was just, and it was brutal, I've got to say, you know, like Dalt's, you know, it was Dalt's program, 
and Bowers, their co-skipper. And it was just like, you know, like, I like those guys, but there wasn't a lot of help for the young guy. Was, I was seriously single swim, you know, like you had to, uh, it was, it was pretty hardcore, I got to say. And, um, uh, and, you know, and I, and it wasn't until, honestly, wasn't until halfway round that race that I thought that I was actually starting to do a reasonable job. Like, mm. and I was, uh, and and the part that did it for me was that, you know, then you kind of had six drivers and I was one of the six drivers and, and we had a really windy section for several days and we kind of, we just go down to three drivers as such. So there was, uh, there was on that leg, there was myself, Bauer and Paul Kayard and we were the three drivers rotating, overlapping out of the watch system to try and, try and handle this amount of breeze, this level of sailing. So you're kind of like, you're pushing yourself, you know, young bloke with plenty of energy, you're pushing yourself pretty darn hard. And, um, you know, that was kind of what, that was a moment in that race that I, that I un- understood that, like, you know, what a, what a, um, you know, what a true test it, it is in, in regards to your sport. Um, and it tests in so many, so many areas other than just, you know, standing behind, steering a boat. But, and then the other moment actually was a big moment for me was this last race. And, and it, was, uh, it was my fifth time around Cape Horn. Um, or I guess six counting, one in training. But, um, but I, I just remember, you know, finally having a bit of a moment and just going, wow, you know, like the things that have gone on to have been able to sail around such an iconic place um and and just the journey the journey to to get that far to do and the you know and the stories and the troubles and the good times and everything to to do that and I was pretty I don't know it's one of the rare times that you kind of can sit back and 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 think you know i've you know i'm happy with happy with what i've been able to do so far you know i used to used to see this stuff as a kid in the in the books about the early explorers and everything to think end up doing five times around never never even thought about it not once not one not even to do once but five times yeah that's why i got the gray hair well, the, the sun's coming up here. I can see that the sun is going down where you are. Um, I, we saw your family in the background before, so I'm guessing you've got duties away from dreaming about, you know, the next edition of the race. So, uh, Chris, thank you very much for that. That's a beautiful note to leave it on. Um, we'll let you get back to family life and uh, we'll see you on the water soon. Cheers, Noel. Thanks, mate.